You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Tonight's really more of a teaching time than it is a preaching time. There's definitely a lot of preaching in the message tonight as far as the uh, concept of what Christ has done for us, but a lot of teaching and, and the fact that I want you to fully understand what it means to be saved. Uh, and if you're not saved, I want you to know how you can get saved. Uh, knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that you could ever possibly receive. Uh, knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home uh, is the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life. And so I want you to understand that. If you are a child of God, if you are saved, I want you to understand what exactly the cross purchased for you uh, because it's a really big deal. Uh, Does anybody else need a copy of the notes for tonight? Anybody else? All right, ushers, great job. Uh, during the, the uh, what we sometimes refer to as Passion Week, where we, uh, the week leading up to uh, the, the celebration of the crucifixion and the, uh, the empty tomb, uh, for me personally, I like to read a lot about the cross. I've, I've got probably about, uh, I don't know, about a half dozen or books or so that I read uh, about the cross leading up to, to that time, and sometimes uh, I read the same books over and over, and so there was one book that uh, particularly stood out uh, called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Uh, I believe every Christian should read this book because it's so phenomenal in the, the explanation that it gives of the cross and what it is, and as I'm reading this, I was, I was reading through the, the cross of Christ this past week, and I thought to myself, I wish our church family could just sit down and read this book together. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big book. It would take us uh, you know, eight hours to sit and read the book together, so we don't have that kind of time. But I thought to myself, I want to take some really things that, uh, that impacted me regarding the cross, and I want to share it with our church family, so that's where we're at tonight. Uh, and so tonight was originally going to be a, a continuation of this morning's message of being alive in Christ uh, and dead to our sin, but uh, I switched it around earlier this week because I thought, this is way too big. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight about the soteriological implications of Passion Week. Uh, the word uh, soteriology, just to start us off here tonight, is the uh, area of Christian theology focused on the saving work of Christ including atonement, grace, human nature, sin, resurrection. And the term is derived from soteria uh, in the Greek, meaning salvation. So soteriology is just a study of salvation and what it means to us. And so again, tonight's going to be more of a teaching time uh, than it is a preaching time. I want you to, to fully grasp. Uh, when I was nine years old, I accepted Christ as Savior. I realized I'd broken God's law. I knew that I was in danger of God's judgment. I realized that Jesus was the only way to heaven and that his Payment on the cross was enough to pay for my sins. And as a nine-year-old boy, uh, just uh, no lie, uh, I just looked at my calendar yesterday, uh, 36 years ago, I'm, I'm sorry, 33 years ago last week, or no, 33 years ago yesterday, uh, I put my faith and trust in Christ as Savior, uh, 1986. And so um, I got saved. Uh, as a nine-year-old boy, understanding that Jesus was the only way to heaven and that he was the only person that could pay for my sins and me accepting the gift of salvation, that's all that I needed. And that's all anyone needs to be saved. Realize your sinful condition. Realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven and turn from your sin and turn to Christ. That's it. Later in life, I would fully unpack the biblical idea of who Jesus was. Later, I would unpack things like the Passover lamb and the the implications of that and how Jesus Christ was a perfect lamb. Uh, Later, I would understand the idea of propitiation and justification and uh, things along those lines. Uh, And it it gave me a richer, um, I would say, appreciation for my salvation. 
And so uh, I, always, um, I, I always kind of brace myself when I hear somebody say, oh, so-and-so, they said the sinner's prayer last week. It just kind of grinds against me. I don't like it when people say that because putting faith in Christ is more than just praying a prayer. Having your sins forgiven is more than just bowing your head and asking for forgiveness. It's a really, really big deal. So I like to use Bible terms when someone accepts Christ as Savior. I say, uh, he got saved, uh, so-and-so was born again this morning. I like to use Bible terms for that. I, I always bristle when I hear the words sinner's prayer because we never find such a prayer in the Bible anywhere. Uh, we do see in Romans chapter 10 that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. That could take the form of a prayer of some sort. Uh, certainly this morning I gave people the opportunity to pray and trust Christ as Savior. That was a way for them to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. But to just call salvation the sinner's prayer uh, is, is to, to really dilute the importance of salvation and everything that it means to us. Uh, we need to understand, first of all, before we can understand the saving power of God, understand our sin and where that has left us. First of all, my sin has broken me spiritually. The Bible says that we are born into our sin and we are born dead in our sin. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse number one, we were born dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus has made us alive. So we are broken spiritually. We have no access to God automatically. Uh, as we come out of our mother's womb, we have a broken relationship with God, spiritually speaking. Secondly, we took a look at this this morning. My sin has enslaved me. My answer for my sin is not just trying to do better. Uh, my answer for my sin is not to, uh, you know, count to three whenever I get angry. And my answer to sin is not just try to turn over a new leaf and stop sinning so much. I am a slave to my sin, and I need to be set free from my sinful condition. Next, my sin has been judged by God. God's already determined what the ramifications of my sin is. The wages of sin is death. Uh, because I have sinned, I will die. God has already judged my sin. Barring any outside intervention, and if I die in my sin, God has determined what will happen when I die in my sin. I'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell. The Bible calls this the second death. That's a result of my sin. Now, there is another way, and that's the whole reason why we're here today, because Jesus has made a way for us to be saved. But if I die in my sin, I will be separated from God for all eternity in a real place called hell that burns with real fire forever, and there's no second chances. God has judged my sin. My sin has also made me an enemy of God. Romans chapter five tells us that, uh, that we were enemies of God. I was reading a book this week, I can't remember if it was The Cross of Christ or another, another book that uh, really gripped me when I read this. It said, for one to have an enemy, there must be a mutual, um, it wasn't hatred on the side of each other, but there must be a mutual decision that you're against one another. It was the idea behind it. And I thought to myself, through our relationship with God, if we are the enemies of God, not only am I against God and all of his laws and all of his commandments, but if I'm truly an enemy of God, then he has to be an enemy of mine. That was heavy for me. There might be people on the earth that hate my, hate my guts. That's fine. I don't have any enemies that I know of because there's not anybody that I'm mad at. But the idea of having a reciprocal relationship as far as being an enemy kind of blew me away. Like, wow, I was not only uh, an enemy to God, God was an enemy to me before I found Jesus. That was heavy. Why? Because of my sin, 
So again, the idea uh, that is prevalent in our society today is that it's okay to be who you are and stay who you are, and, and God knows that you're a sinner, and God chooses to love you anyways. And this idea of a God who is light on sin is not a biblical idea at all. God hates sin. Sin was the reason he had to publicly humiliate and execute his own son. So the idea that God is soft on sin is just not a biblical idea. God has a burning hatred towards sin. Now, God loves people. Uh, let's not ever cross those two. While God hates sin, he loves people unconditionally. He loves us despite our sin, uh, but he cannot be soft on sin in any way whatsoever. The wrath of God abides on those in their sin. Coming judgment for people in their sin. I love what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is forbearing in his wrath. You know what that means? It means he's holding it back for a minute. But there's coming a day when there'll be no more mercy for sin. There's only gonna be wrath and judgment. The Bible tells us during the time of great tribulation on this earth, in the end times, God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. God tells us in the uh, book of Revelation and in the lake of fire that God's wrath will be poured out for all of eternity, judging sin forever because God's wrath abides on those in their sin. This is, again, you know, I, again, I had read this book before, and I'd even highlighted this in the book, but I'd forgotten that I'd ever read. Have you ever done that before where you read a section of the Bible and you go, oh, I don't think I've ever read that before, but it's like so common. Uh, I, I did this when I, when I read through this book this week. I even had it highlighted in the book, this thought that death is not a natural event, but a penal event. This is God's punishment for sin. We think that death is just a natural part of life. It was never supposed to be a natural part of life. We were supposed to live forever in the Garden of Eden with God forever. Death is God's punishment. It's not a natural event, it's a penal event, meaning it's the penalty, it's the punishment for our sin, death. And so when I die physically, it's because of my sin. Now when it comes to Jesus, his death is different. Jesus' death was substitutionary and vicarious. This is beautiful. This is one of the most beautiful truths in all of the Bible, that I deserve to die, but Jesus died in my place. I deserve God's wrath, but God's wrath was poured out not on me, but on Jesus Christ. I deserve to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished in my place. I don't deserve it, but Jesus bore my pain. When Jesus was beaten, with a whip, when he was mocked, when he was spit upon. That was for me. You see, that's the way that they treated sinners. That's the way they treated the lowest of the lows. Did you know that Roman crucifixion wasn't even allowed for uh, Roman citizens unless it was an extreme case? Because this is how they, they killed barbaric people. When it came to... Uh, Crucifixion Crucifixion originally started by placing a person on a pike, uh, a single rod with a, a tip on the top. And what they found was when they would put someone up on this pike, that they would be pierced through their, their heart and their lungs and they would die in a matter of minutes. So instead of killing them that way, they wanted to find a way to stretch it out a little bit longer and the Romans really became uh, connoisseurs of the cross, if you will. And how can we keep this person alive for the longest period of time to experience the most humiliation possible? by putting him on a cross. The Bible says that Jesus became my sin. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus didn't just pay for sin, Jesus became sin. And because of that, the God the Father turned his back on his only son. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you and I at times in life have felt like God has forgotten us. You read through the book of Psalms, he felt like God had forgotten him sometimes. This was not a case of feeling forgotten by God. This was a case of abandonment by God. When Jesus became sin, God could no longer look upon his son. And the Bible says that the whole earth went dark and Jesus Christ hung there alone. Why? Because of my sin, Jesus Christ bore my penalty. I deserve death. I deserve a horrific death for the things that I've done against a holy God. And again, I don't have to be a bad sinner to be in danger of God's judgment. The Bible says, if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. But I, all I have to do is break God's law once and I'm guilty of everything that he's ever written. And truth be told, I've broken it more than once. Jesus took my penalty. And Jesus died in my place. This is beautiful. The substitutionary atonement of Christ that he would make us right with God by dying in our place. I don't know that there's a greater truth in all of the Bible. God loves me, that's a great truth. But how much does God love me enough to die for me? God loves me, great truth. How much enough to take my pain, my guilt, my shame, my penalty, and to die my death? That's how much God loves me. Your verses are packed with notes. Again, you have four pages here because uh, we got a lot of uh, verses in here. Isaiah 53, um, you, should, you should read through maybe in your, your devotions this week, meditate through Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Some folks have twisted this verse into thinking that it means physical healing, that every time I get a cold, Jesus Christ died to, to make my cold feel better. That couldn't be further from the truth. Hey, my biggest problem that I have is not the flu. The biggest problem that I have is the wrath of God for the sins in my life. And Jesus Christ died for those, and I am healed by his stripes of my sin condition. Isaiah 53, 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul into death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Romans 4, 25, who delivered, was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, but them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ hath also once suffered for sins, for the, the just, for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. How beautiful is that? The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. You see, you and I can't go to God on our own. We have no access to God. I, I have no answer for my sin. I have no covering for my sin. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. As you take a look at the cross, uh, again, this, I'm not claiming any originality on this. This came from uh, the uh, 
The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Outstanding book. You should totally read it. But four major victories of the cross that he finds here. The first of those is propitiation. Propitiation is a beautiful Bible word, and we cannot lose this word. Some Bible versions have taken the word propitiation, like in 1 John 2, 2, and some other places that it's mentioned, and changed it to atoning sacrifice or satisfactory payment. And when we talk about propitiation, when you don't understand what it means, it dilutes the use of the word and the meaning that God has behind it. Propitiation is the turning away of God's wrath. The reason why propitiation is necessary is because sin arouses the wrath of God. The idea of propitiation is God's wrath is coming for me and it is turned away instead. Uh, Two good Bible words. First of all, propitiation appeases God's wrath. It turns God's wrath away. Another good Bible word is the word expiation, which actually removes our sin and our guilt from us. So propitiation appeases God's wrath while expiation removes our sin and guilt from us. Again, I told you this is gonna be heavy uh, here tonight. A lot of good Bible words here. The word expiation isn't found in the King James Version of the Bible and most versions of the Bible, but the idea is taking our sin and our guilt from us so that it's no longer uh, with us. Uh, there's, uh, I think, two, maybe two English translations of the Bible that use the word expiation. But propitiation and expiation, because we cannot lose those words because they carry rich biblical imagery. Uh, one of those is the Passover lamb uh, that was sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. Uh, again, uh, I, I have this in your notes for you to, to read through this with me as we go. When it came to the Day of Atonement, first the high priest would remove his official garments made for beauty and glory and clothe himself in white linen as a symbol of repentance as he went about the duties of the day. Next, he offered a bull calf as a sin offering for the priest and himself. That done, he entered into the Holy of Holies with a censer of live coals from the altar of incense, filling the area with incense. Then he sprinkled the bullock's blood on the mercy seat and on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat would be uh, the, the area of the, uh, the temple where this blood would be spilled and cover the mercy seat and on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. This is important because the word propitiation comes from the Old Testament word that we use for that blood covering on the altar. And it's a picture of Christ and his sacrifice that's made. So keep in mind, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies. He, he kills the animal. He bleeds it out over the altar. And the altar would symbolically hold the sins of the people. And now this blood would cover over the sins of the people, symbolically speaking. And if you, if you look at how that relates to Christ and how our sins were before us and Christ's blood was shed on the cross, covering our sin and hiding them from God's face turning away God's wrath. After this blood had been spilled on the mercy seat and then cast lots over two live goats brought in by the people. He killed one goat as a sin offering for the nation, taking the blood inside the veil and sprinkling it the same way as before, thus atoning even for the holy place. Get this. He then confessed the sins of the nation over the live goat as he placed his hands on it, and finally he sent the live goat, called the scapegoat or escape goat, and it will be found in the King James, into the wilderness, symbolically carrying away the sins of the people. We call that uh, the picture of that expiation. So mind you, one animal is killed, bled out to cover the sins of the people. But the other goat, in this case here, would have the sins of the people symbolically placed on it and sent out into the wilderness never to be seen ever again. 
This is a picture of how Jesus' death upon the cross has covered our sin and has taken away our sin as far as the east is from the west, and God remembers it no more. So here in this beautiful Old Testament picture, we see propitiation, the covering of our sins to turn away God's wrath, and the expiation, the removal of our sin from us. Now, you and I have such a great advantage to us in the fact that we can read the Old Testament and flip over to the New Testament and see the imagery. Can you imagine being a Jew living in Old Testament times going, do we really have to send the goat out? I mean, like, it's a good goat. I mean, can we just like keep it around or can we send it out just a little bit, like as a picture, just send it out of the temple and then bring it back when we're done? Do we really have to kill this animal? I mean, can we just maybe take a little bit of blood? We don't have to actually kill it. Does it have to be a good sheep? I mean, we got plenty of sheep that are about to die. Can we just kill one that's almost dead? I can only imagine in their mind, do we really have to do this? But the picture of a perfect, spotless lamb with no problems whatsoever that was, had its life taken for the sins of the people. The idea of a goat being sent out to the wilderness never to be seen again is a picture of our sin and how it was carried so far away from us. Romans chapter three, verse number 24. Oh, the uh, next paragraph underneath there, then the high priest clothed himself in his usual apparel and offered a burnt offering for himself and one for the people and the fat offering. And outside of the camp, they had to take it outside of the, the, the city, the flesh of the bull calf and the goat was burned. Interesting thing, Jesus Christ hung on a tree, not in the middle of the city, but outside of the city. Jesus Christ was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Beautiful picture here that when they were done with the sacrifice, they took the, the, the bull calf outside and put it to death, uh, burned the body outside the camp. Beautiful picture of how Christ suffered on a tree outside of the camp. Romans chapter three, verse number 24, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. As Paul wrote to these Romans here, maybe the, the Romans didn't get it, but John for sure would have gotten uh, the message through to those that he wrote in. The idea of propitiation. Oh, so that animal that we slit its throat and bled out over the altar, that's what Jesus was for. He, he's the propitiation for my sins. That's why, again, uh, I don't like any Bible version that would change the word propitiation to be just atoning sacrifice. Uh, you're taking away the strength of the word propitiation. You say, well, nobody knows what propitiation is. Great, this is a great teaching opportunity to help them to learn what a rich Bible word propitiation is. Propitiation means that Jesus has covered my sin with his blood that God no longer sees it. And God's wrath is satisfied. God says, that's enough. Jesus says, it is finished. My sin has been expiated from me. I no longer have to carry on my back the load of my guilt and my shame and my sin because Jesus has taken it as far as the east is from the west and God remembers it no more. The Bible says it's in the depths of the sea because Jesus has paid it all. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 2, and he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as we look at these four major victories of the cross, the first one that we see is propitiation. 
This would have been in the temple. Uh, this would take care of our spiritual condition that we have. As we look at the next major victory of the cross is redemption. When we think of this, we think of the marketplace. Uh, the analogy that we have here is one who is in bondage and slavery and is purchased back from that. Propitiation focuses on the wrath of God, which is placated by the cross. Redemption focuses on the plight of sinners from which they were ransomed by the cross. You see, our plight was the fact that we were slaves to sin. We couldn't have done anything about it if we'd wanted to. Again, it's not a matter of do better, try harder. We were slaves. We could not have freedom. And our price of purchase was the blood of Christ. That's why the Bible says that your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. If you're a child of God here tonight, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. He bought you. And the price that he paid was with his own blood. You see, we were once the slaves of sin, but we've been bought from the slave market of sin and ransomed. Uh, the word redeem, redemption, and ransom all go together. It's the idea of pot paying a high price for a highly prized object. The word ransom is appropriately used here, speaking of redemption. Uh, the Greek word liatru is sometimes translated redeem, and, and the word redemption is derived from the same word ransom, which was a technical term in the ancient world for the purchase or the act of freeing a slave. So the word ransom, the word redeem could be used interchangeably here. It means to purchase something that belongs to someone else. Redemption refers to a process involving a release of payment of a ransom price often very costly. Some Bible translations replace the word with deliverance, which again dilutes the meaning in a vague and even cheap deliverance. We've been ransomed by Christ, not merely just delivered by him. The idea of being delivered means somebody let us out of a bad situation. The idea that we were redeemed or ransomed means that someone has paid a very high price for what we have. In every case, redemption, there was decisive and costly intervention. Somebody paid the price necessary to free property from mortgage, animals from slaughter, people from slavery, even death. What a beautiful picture here. Decisive, costly action. God knew what it took to redeem you. God knew what the price was for your sin. He knew that it would cost him his own son. And he made a decisive, costly action to save you and to save me. That's why I love the song that Andrew sang last Sunday. After he counted the cost, he decided to do it anyways. God knew what it would take to buy us, to purchase us, and he chose to do it anyhow. Mark chapter 10, verse number 45, for the, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. 1 Peter 1, 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and spot. Revelation chapter five talks about a scene in heaven where we'll gather around the throne room of Jesus Christ and worship. 
They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Friend, if you're a child of God, you've been redeemed. Jesus Christ has paid the highest price one could pay, his own life, because of your sin and because of his love for you. The next uh, word we have here, the next victory that we find of the cross is justification. The idea here is the, uh, the environment of a courtroom. The word justification here is a legal term. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on Friday night at our Good Friday service. Uh, we sometimes use the word justification as kind of an excuse. Uh, I was uh, a little bit late for dinner tonight, but I'm justified because there was traffic today. Uh, I forgot to get milk, but I'm, I'm justified in that because uh, I had a really busy day at work. That's not the idea of justification here, that this is the reason that you got off. The idea of justification is that you have been declared righteous because your sin has been put on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness has been placed on you. We sometimes refer to that as the beautiful exchange. Justification is a legal term related to the idea of guilt versus innocence. Justification refers to the divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful, guilty, and therefore worthy of condemnation, acceptable before God who is holy and righteous, more appropriately described as justification by grace through faith. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. See, justification deals with God's holiness and justice. God is a just God, so he simply cannot allow sin to go unpunished. So again, the idea here is a legal standing before God. You were guilty, you were condemned, but because of what Jesus has done for you and because you have been saved and born again, you have been justified. Christ's righteousness has been placed on you that when God sees you, he sees you as holy. God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ's sacrifice remits our debts and cancels our liability to punishment. Justification bestows on us a righteous standing before God. Now I am righteous, holy before God because of what Jesus has done. We're justified, first of all, by grace. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not because I deserve it, not because I've done anything to earn it, but by God's grace, I am justified. I'm declared righteous because God is gracious. Secondly, we are justified by faith. Friend, you cannot be saved. You cannot be redeemed. You cannot be purchased. You cannot be justified. You cannot have propitiation applied to you unless you put your faith in Jesus. It's all about faith. This payment that was made for my sin and for yours is not a blanket payment assigned to everyone. You must have faith. And we're justified by our faith in God much more now than being justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us in the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As we look at Romans 3, and as you read through these verses, I want you to now, I hope these terms of being justified and redeemed uh, and things along those lines pop out more to you as you read through these verses. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified, declared righteous, freely by his grace, how? Through redemption, the fact that we've been purchased out of the slave market of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, 
a complete satisfactory payment that turns away the wrath of God through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. Again, the idea of justification here, declared righteous before God for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Because God has held back his wrath, he's given you the opportunity to be saved. Man, verses like that just get me fired up. Again, the idea that the cross is just simply a prayer that I say, you're missing out on the whole big story of the Bible. The fact that salvation just means I'm on my way to heaven, you you missed out on the best part of the Bible. The fact that Jesus just keeps me out of hell, oh, no, 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 you missed it. You missed how good it is. Verses like Romans 3, 23 through 25 really bring that alive. The final victory that we see from the cross is that of reconciliation. This is the idea of being at home with family. Remember I said we were enemies with God and God was enemies with us? How do we go from being enemies to being a part of his family? How do I go from being an enemy of God to being a son of God? How does that work? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of a broken relationship, a renewal of friendship. Reconciliation is the opposite of alienation. Reconciliation takes us from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God. Our justification, which is our legal standing of being righteous before God, makes it possible to be reconciled and have a personal relationship with him. Think about it this way. Someone murders a family member of yours and then want to come to your house for Christmas dinner. No, not going to happen. How can we come and be seated at God's table when we put his son to death? Not going to happen unless we are first justified and declared righteous, now that opens up the door for reconciliation. We can be made right in a right relationship with God because we have been declared righteous by his son. Reconciliation brings access to God through communion, fellowship, and prayer. Reconciliation to God is where we also get our word atonement. The word atonement could be, uh, some people split it up and call it at-one-ment. It's the idea of bringing us back together with God. That's what atonement means. Again, we were once at odds with God. Now we've been brought back together to him by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It brings us back into a right relationship with God again. 1 Peter 3, 18, for for Christ hath also once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but be quickened by the Spirit. Romans 5, uh, 9 through 11 Again, these verses, when you understand justification and propitiation uh, and redemption, reconciliation, these verses just jump off the page at you. Much more than we are now justified, declared righteous by his blood, that we shall be saved from wrath, propitiation and expiation. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, reconciliation to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. 
to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, trying to fix the broken relationship between the world and God, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know what the word of reconciliation is? You know what word that is that brings a restoration between our broken relationship with God and sinful man? You know what the word of reconciliation is? It's the word of God. And the Bible says we have been committed the word of reconciliation that we might reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. It's our job to tell people how to know Jesus. That's what we're here for. If you're a child of God, praise God that you're reconciled, but I wanna help other people be reconciled too. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you have members of your family that aren't getting along very well and you have to kind of be the mediator between them. It's kind of weird, it's kind of awkward, but you realize that if you don't do it, probably nobody else will. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation I had before. Kind of a similar situation that people that I know and love are enemies of God, but I love God. And God's given me the opportunity to be a middleman, an ambassador for him, 2 Corinthians calls me, that I might be able to help people reconcile with God. How do I do that? Because I'm such a good person, because I, I know so much stuff? No, God's given us the word of reconciliation, the Bible to help people come to Christ. Romans chapter three, verse number 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through his blood to declare righteous for the remissions that are sin past that are through the forbearance of God. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins, to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy God's wrath, to turn God's wrath away from us. When I was deserving of God's wrath, Jesus' sacrifice turned it away. Jesus Christ has declared me righteous. He took my sin upon him and he put it to death so that he could give me his righteousness. And I'm declared righteous and justified before God. I was a slave to my sin and I had to be purchased at a price and Jesus paid that price for me, his own blood. Why did he do that? So that he could reconcile my relationship with his father and we could be a family the way that God had intended it to be. Final thoughts this evening is the word of imputation. The word imputed means, uh, is used to designate any action word or thing that is reckoned to a person. Our sin is imputed to all men. Uh, Romans chapter five, if you read that, the Bible says that Adam is sin, therefore death passed upon Adam and, and death has passed upon all men for all men have sinned. If you have a dad, you're a sinner. Simple as that. And because the Bible says in Romans five that death has passed upon all men, every person that exists that has a father automatically receives the sin nature from their father. Why is that important? Because if someone could be sinless. If someone could pay for the sins of all mankind, he could not have an earthly father. He would have to be born some other way. Well, then that means he would have to be born of a, a woman who had not been with a man, say, for example, a virgin birth. You got it. That's why the virgin birth of Christ is a non-negotiable Bible truth for any Bible-believing Christian. 
Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. If he was born of Joseph or any other man, he received a sin nature. If he received a sin nature, he therefore cannot be my savior or yours. And we're toast, folks. We should just pack it up and go home. But because Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, he was born without sin, because his father was the Holy Spirit of God, and because he was without sin, he could pay for my sin and yours. Because otherwise, sin is imputed unto all men. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, wherefore, is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all that have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but not, sin not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them who had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of them that was to come. In other words, from Adam to Moses, they didn't have a law. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. But Adam's sin caused everybody else to be a sinner anyways. Wasn't anything we could do to stop that. So thus in doctrinal language, when it comes to imputation, the sin of Adam is imputed to all of his descendants and is reckoned as theirs. And they're dealt with, therefore, as guilty. It's automatically put on our account. You are born with sin on your account automatically. Nothing you can do to get around that because sin is imputed. But here's a beautiful truth. Our sins are imputed to Christ. He assumed our law place. He took the penalty in our spot. He undertook the answer to the demands of justice for our sins. And in these cases, the nature of imputation is the same. So when our sin was imputed to Christ, God dealt with Jesus Christ as if he were a sinner. That makes my head want to explode. That God treated his own son like a sinner. Why? Because my sin was placed upon him. Our sin was imputed to Jesus Christ. Therefore, God dealt with him as a guilty sinner. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall be many be made righteous." Praise God for that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So sin was imputed to all men. My sin was imputed to Christ and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to all them who believe. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're saved, you're born again, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ becomes yours. When God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, he no longer sees your shame, he sees you as righteous before him because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. Friend, if you are here tonight and there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior and you've never been born again, know this, when God looks at you, he sees your sin and he is going to judge it. His wrath will be poured out for all of eternity upon your soul because of your sin, unless you care for it. And the only answer for your sin is, is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. Well, pastor, I'm just gonna try to do better. You can't. Well, I think I'm just gonna try to come to church more. That will not help. I think I might get baptized. That will not wash away your sins. The only thing that can wash away your sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. That propitiation, that Jesus Christ's blood must be poured out over your sin. That your sin must be placed upon that goat that is sent out into the wilderness. 
that Jesus Christ must take your sin upon him and him place his righteousness upon you so that you can be justified. His blood has to purchase you out of the slave uh, market of sin that you've lived your entire life in so that you can be redeemed and ransomed and bought back so that you can be reconciled and brought into the family of God and you can be his child and he can be your father. It's the only way, Jesus. That's it. I said this morning, I came across maybe a little bit harsh the fact that if anybody has ever told you that their church will get you to heaven, they've lied to you. No church can get you to heaven. If anybody ever told you that being baptized, whether it's a baby or even as an adult, will get you to heaven, they've lied to you. Jesus says that it won't. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. And I don't know about you, I know we, we, had, we blasted through this and we took a look at a lot of verses tonight, but for me, as I read through these thoughts this week and I really meditated on it, maybe you need to take another, some time later on this week to listen to the podcast and look, look over your notes, but man, my heart burned in me this week that like, really for me? The cross for me? I don't get it. I don't deserve it. But I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And I want to live the rest of my life in loving worship for a God who loved me enough to give his best for me. As a nine-year-old boy, I just knew that I had messed up and I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't grasp the depths of my salvation and everything that it meant. And really, what we've covered tonight, we're just kind of skimming the surface on what our salvation means to us. But I hope you walk away here with a greater appreciation of what Jesus has done for you most important thing in the world. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that your sins are forgiven, tonight is the night to accept that free gift of salvation, to be justified, to have that propitiation applied to your account, to be redeemed, to be reconciled into the family of God, to be his child again. That's what God wants for you. So if you're here tonight and there's never been a time that you've been saved, please don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. For those of us that are saved, man, let's live with wild worship and praise this week. Because I deserve that cross. I deserve wrath. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. But you know what all, all I received in return? Love, grace, mercy, and Jesus. And that is everything that I need to make it this week.